Welcome to Head & Neck Innovations, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest innovations, discoveries, and surgical advances in otolaryngology head and neck surgery. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Head & Neck Innovations. I'm your host, Paul Bryson, director of the Cleveland Clinic Voice Center. You can follow me on Twitter at Paul C. Bryson, and you can get the latest updates from Cleveland Clinic Otolaryngology Head & Neck Surgery by following at CLE Clinic H&I on Twitter. That's CLE Clinic H&I. New this year, find us on LinkedIn as well at Cleveland Clinic Otolaryngology Head & Neck Surgery and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic Otolaryngology. Today, I'm honored to be joined by my colleague and friend, Dr. Troy Woodard, a rhinologist and skull-based surgeon in our Head & Neck Institute. Dr. Woodard is also a professor of otolaryngology, head and neck surgery, rhinology, sinus and skull-based surgery at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine at Case Western uh, University. He's also the director of our rhinology and skull-based fellowship program. And you can follow him on both Twitter at Troy Woodard, MD, and Instagram at Doc Troy Woodard. Dr. Woodard, welcome to Head & Neck Innovations. Thanks, uh, Dr. Bryson. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Well, let's start by having you share some background on yourself for our listeners and where you're from, where you trained, how you came to Cleveland Clinic, and, you know, maybe just some of the evolution of your career, because you've been here a minute. Right. So I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee, and from there... Nashville was a pretty small town, all right? It was back in the late 90s, and I wanted to go to a large city. Ended up in Chicago at DePaul University. From there, I went out east to Baltimore and trained at Johns Hopkins, then had fond memories of Chicago, so I wanted to go back and finish my training. Did residency at Loyola University, and then I did a a rhinology sinus skull-based fellowship at the Medical College of Georgia. So I ended up here, basically, I'm out of fellowship, looking for jobs. And what I realized when I walked into this campus was that this was just an amazing place, from the colleagues, the camaraderie, even the beauty of the facility. All of that really made me decide to make this my place of employment. And you know, I would say you and I are pretty unique in that we have stayed at one a facility or one institution our whole career. So I've been at the Cleveland Clinic about 14 years now. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, right? Like you get the sense of momentum and opportunity and, you know, certainly just as an observer of your of your academic career, it's been amazing to see you bring your expertise, you know, clinically and surgically, but then also, you know, really be just you know, a a pivotal member of the skull-based surgery team. And to see that practice, you know, there's always been a lot of that work here, but to see it really grow and expand, you know, over the last decade uh, with you here has been really cool and, and, you know, just great for patients. It's such a busy... You're you're absolutely correct. You know, prior to the implementation of the skull-based team, which is combined of the neurosurgeons, endoscopic neurosurgeons, myself, and my partner, uh, Dr. Raj Sinwani, many of those patients had to have larger surgeries, external cuts from ear to ear to remove whatever pathology or or tumor. But now, with the implementation of the endoscopic skull-based program, we actually save a lot of our patients Well, I want to say we make their experience better. How so? Well, we go through the nose as opposed to making large external incisions. Uh, A lot of those patients are able to get out of the hospital quicker. And 
ultimately have better results. Yeah, I mean, it's a real innovation. Yes. And to see the care and the team in action is really cool. You know, for for any listeners that are thinking of visiting or spending time with the team, it's it's certainly worth your while yes. to see, you know, how they work together and just the, the finesse and skill of the group. You know, also, you know, on sort of my list of agenda items for us today, you have some expertise in a range of different things that affect, you know, rhinology and the skull base. But, you know, one of the specifics is hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia, otherwise known as HHT. Can you give the listener some background? What What is it? Um, how is it connected to your work? Mm-hmm. And sort of how did you come to find yourself taking care of patients with this condition? Yeah, sure. No problem. So HHT is a genetic disorder in which the blood vessels within our bodies, if you have this disorder, they're pretty friable, pretty thin-walled, and they rupture fairly quickly. Usually patients that have this disorder, they primarily present with uh, severe nosebleeds. And so, and when I say severe, I mean, sometimes they can happen multiple times a day, every day, last up to a couple of hours. These are pretty bad. In addition, patients also have family members with similar type issues. They may have lesions in their internal organs, like your lungs, brain, liver. And finally, a lot of these patients present with small little red vascular lesions in their mouth, on their lips and their hands. And so I would say I started seeing my first couple of patients probably around the second year of my working here. And what I noticed, these patients really had a very poor quality of life. Many of the patients couldn't really leave the house because they were afraid that they were going to bleed out in public. I've had some patients who had this disorder and it really made their work difficult. For example, imagine being a chef and trying to cook food and then you start bleeding into the food. Or imagine being a lawyer and you have all these papers that get drenched with blood. It's pretty miserable. And so, you know, what I found by treating these patients is that just even ultimately small procedures can really have drastic, huge improvements in their quality of life. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing when problems are so severe, you right. know. Can you elaborate a little bit on, you know, what are some of the innovative ways that, you know, that you, that you manage this condition, mm-hmm. how you approach it? And, you know, like, what have you learned over the years? Right. I'm, right. I'm sure you're, right. you know, things have changed. Yes, they have. So when I first started treating patients with this disorder, we utilized laser and cautery to just zap the little lesions, if you will. That would help, but it was very short-lived. And oftentimes the patients would present to our emergency room. Our residents would have to go down, take care of the patients, pack them. It was miserable for the patient and the physician taking care of them because there was no way to really improve the situation. Over the years, I've been partnering with several colleagues here in the pulmonology department, the GI department. And what we've really developed here, I would say is a pretty unique way of treating these patients. We're a team, and as a matter of fact, we're an HHT center of excellence, which means that you have multiple providers providing comprehensive care of these patients, and so you're able to take care of all their needs. And so over time, we began 
using other methods to try to control the nosebleeds. For instance, topical therapies. Studies have shown that some topical medicines can reduce the growth of these vascular lesions. We've even started to use systemic therapies as well. And so when I see a patient in my clinic, one, I assess how bad their nosebleeds are. Two, if they've tried any of the other less invasive approaches to treat their lesions. And three, if all else fails, then we will proceed to surgery. My method of surgical intervention has changed. Remember, initially I was using laser and cautery, but now I use something called sclerotherapy. That's a procedure that you might be familiar with it. Oftentimes people who have varicose veins would get those veins injected. What does it do? Well, it actually hardens the vessel so that it's less prone to rupture. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It's a, it's an amazing way to repurpose things. And, you know, uh, for the listener, if, if you haven't seen this, it, it's not just one little vessel that bleeds. It's really a, it's like almost a field effect, right, along the yeah. mucosa. So it requires sort of strategic yes. injection of the sclerotherapy agent, yes. right? Yes, you're absolutely correct. There are multiple, sometimes hundreds of lesions within the nasal cavity. And so, yes, you have to strategically map out your plan of attack. And so you inject each lesion. And what we have found, we've done some research and compared, uh, we followed our patients for two years and we compared their outcomes to those patients who had uh, laser and cartery. And we were pleasantly surprised. On an average, over two year time period, our patients who receive sclerotherapy only required two treatments, whereas those that had the laser and cartery required up to eight treatments to get them to the same level of mild nosebleeds. Yeah, I mean, pretty amazing, right? right. When you think about that, right. and it's not just the number of nosebleeds, right. it's like the severity right. of the nosebleeds right. as well. In, in addition, you have to also think about how how much time it takes the patient to come to our office, take off of work. Maybe they have to get a family member or a friend to drive them to the Cleveland Clinic. That's a lot of resources that are spent on this. And I think if we're able to help reduce those resources, help improve their quality of life, and I think this is a win-win for everyone. Yeah, no, I mean, great work and, and great, great team effort and great it's um, it's always fun to see how, you know, you, you're an expert in the area and how you can refine things right. just as you, right. you know, spend time with a hard problem, really. Right. Yes, yes. And, you know, it's very interesting. Last year, we were at our annual academy meeting, and I was walking with one of um, our residents, and someone came up to me and said, oh, yeah, I heard you take care of patients with HHT. And I said, yes, I do. He says, oh, it's so hard. I, I really don't like that disease and blah, 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 blah. And so I explained to that person my technique and how it's really revolutionized how I even treat these patients. And so when we were leaving, my resident was like, what is he talking about? Like, they're they're pretty easy to take care of. And I says, that's because we have a great system and we utilize the sclerotherapy. And, right. Yes. And he's coming, he or she's coming into yes. this after like several years yes. of you refining the technique. Right. And so, yeah. you know, what's interesting, that provider was used to, again, treating these patients, having them show up unexpectedly multiple times in the emergency room, come into the clinic with massive bleeding, actively bleeding. And after, you know, 
I started doing or performing sclerotherapy, we don't have that. And so what tends to happen is we will first see the patient in our office, very careful not to disrupt any blood vessels so they won't bleed, develop a treatment plan where there's topical therapy or surgical therapy, and then we can see them virtually if they start to have bad nosebleeds subsequent to their surgical procedure. Usually patients begin to contact me probably around month nine, month 10 after the procedure. And so we don't wait till they're extremely bad. Once they start to get worsen, then we plan the surgical procedure again. And that way, they're comfortable. They're not experiencing these massive nosebleeds. We're not experiencing the treatment of these massive nosebleeds in the clinic or, or overutilizing some resources in the emergency room. So I think it's, again, it's, it's very beneficial. Yeah, no, that's great. And the way that you've employed virtual visits and telehealth to, you know, to take something that is non-elective and kind of make it elective, it really empowers the patient and the healthcare team, right? Right, Um, Right. exactly. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time today. You know, as we wrap up, any final take-home messages for our listeners? Well, if you know someone who has HHT, please feel free to refer them to the Cleveland Clinic. In addition, besides treating HHT and tumors, we also treat inflammatory disorders like chronic sinusitis and nasal polyps, even septal deviations, which could cause nasal congestion. We'll be happy to treat you. We have four fellowship-trained rhinologists in our department. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. You know, for more information on Cleveland Clinic's section of rhinology, sinus and skull-based surgery, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash rhinology. That's clevelandclinic.org slash rhinology. And to speak with a specialist or submit a referral, please call 216-444-8500. That's 216-444-8500. Dr. Woodard, thanks for joining Head & Neck Innovations. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Head & Neck Innovations. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website at clevelandclinic.org forward slash podcasts. Or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic experts in otolaryngology, head and neck surgery on our consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org forward slash head and neck. Thank you for listening and join us again next time. Thank you.